Thanks, Santa. Uh, if you do have a Bible, please uh, keep it open there at 1 John. Uh, we, we've been uh, looking at not 1 John, uh, but John's Gospel over the last month or so while we've been doing church outside. And towards the end of John's eyewitness account, he tells us why he wrote. It's always good to know, isn't it, when you're reading someone's material, why they're writing. Uh, And he says this in John 20, verse 30 and 31. It should come up on the screen. We read, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we read that, the the eyewitness account that is John's gospel, and Jesus walks on the water. Uh, He heals the sick. He, He even raises the dead. He feeds the hungry. He gives sight to that man who was born blind in in John 9, and and of all of these things, they're signs that point to Jesus being the Messiah, the King that God had said would come. All of these events point to Jesus being God in the flesh, God the Son, fully God, and fully man. And it's staggering. John wrote his Gospel account that we might believe in Jesus, that we might trust in Jesus, that we might have life in Jesus. But how do I have confidence that the life he offers is actually mine? Uh, How can you be sure that you're the real deal, uh, a true believer, that that where you and I, that we're walking on the right track, so to speak, especially when there are others in our culture claiming that their understanding of God or life is the right one? Uh, Can you be sure you're on the right track? Can we have confidence? And to that question, the Apostle John, he says, yes. And he writes this sermon-like letter that is 1 John that we're beginning to look at today to give the believer confidence in our relationship with God. Uh, This should come up on the screen if it hasn't already. Uh, John, in this letter, he, he says, I write these things to you lots of times. But in chapter 5, verse 13, he says an overarching purpose statement. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes 1 John that the believer might have confidence, assurance of salvation. And if we imagine the situation that John is likely writing It's around 90, 95 AD, and there are some who have withdrawn from the first century church. They have departed from the local churches in the Asia Minor area. That's modern-day Turkey. There should be a map coming up on the screen. Uh, You see uh, over on your left the the places in bowls. And for the sake of interest, these are the churches that are also listed in the book of Revelation, which John also wrote. 
Uh, so John, the, the apostle, he wrote John's gospel and he wrote 1, 2 and 3 John and he wrote the book of Revelation. And those who have left the church, that, that, you know, it's not that they just had a job elsewhere and so they were, they were moving on, but it's that their understanding of who Jesus is and how the believer is to live, it was at odds uh, with the apostles' teaching. And these people who had left the church, they're claiming that they're the ones who are in the right. That would be unsettling for any church, wouldn't it? Uh, Are they the ones in the right or or are we? Uh, These people who we love dearly have left us, but they're saying we're wrong and they're right. So John writes that his reader might have confidence in their relationship with God. And what he does is describe the ordinary Christian life which centres on the person and work of Jesus. A few Bibles there, you just notice in those first four verses, John, he clarifies the message that, that he and the other apostles, those first eyewitnesses, proclaim. He's saying, we didn't make this up. Look at verse 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And if you've read the beginning of John's gospel lately, which we read at the start of the service, it sounds very similar, doesn't it? And you might get the feeling that the witch that John is talking about is Jesus. You'd be right. Jesus, who was from the beginning, that the story of God the Son doesn't begin with Christmas. But John takes us back to the very first chapter of the Bible, that which was from the beginning. We read in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And that which was from the beginning, says John, we saw, we heard, and we touched. And this word of life we proclaim to you. We were witnesses. It's staggering, isn't it? But get this. Why do they proclaim or announce Jesus? Jesus, the word of life. Jesus, the eternal life. Why? Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I don't know what you think of when you hear that word fellowship. Depending on your background, you might picture a dry biscuit uh, and a weak tea in one of those old halls, uh, if you know what I mean. Fellowship, though, and the Greek word behind fellowship, it's a word that describes intimacy of relationship, uh, connectedness. Uh, It's family language. It can even describe uh, partnership. 
And here John is saying to, to listen to and accept the eyewitness account of who Jesus is, to take a hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's to be connected to not only them, the apostles of old, but to be brought up into relationship with God himself. It's amazing, isn't it? It brought up into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, though not mentioned here. Taking hold of the gospel leads to true community, as Jerry Bridges puts it. In Christ, we're united to God and his people. The people we can't ditch because we're related. The people we're stuck with for eternity. And that's a good thing. And what John is saying, to have fellowship with God, we must be in fellowship with his messengers. That is those first eyewitnesses like John who proclaimed the message. So those people who were withdrawing from the church... We don't agree with what the apostles are saying. Well then, no matter what you may claim, says John, you're not in fellowship with God. You are not connected to God. You you want to know if someone's a Christian? Ask them what they think of the apostles. Ask them, uh, do you agree with the, the apostolic word? John writes that we might have confidence in our relationship with God and if we take hold of this gospel, we also have fellowship with God and his people. Isn't that rain beautiful? Do you see verse 4 if your Bible's there? He says, we write this to make our joy complete. And if you've got a a footnote, you might notice some manuscripts say your joy. We write this so that your joy may be complete. Is it your joy? Is it our joy? Either way, observe that connection to each, observe the connection to each other that God gives his people. The the Apostle Paul, elsewhere, when he's writing to the Christians at Philippi, he calls them his joy and his crown. Our joy as believers in fellowship with one another, our joy is tied to how one another is going in the faith. I don't know whether you've thought about this. Uh, Your joy is tied to the extent to which Sunday Kids that's going on right now is delighting in Jesus. Or how our teenagers are going with God. Your joy is tied to the spiritual health of our young adults or or your small group if you're in one of those. I really love this. Someone said, do all that you can to increase someone's joy in Jesus. And the desire for this joy with one another describes something of this fellowship we share with God's people and himself. You have a desire for this joy? Well, it's evidence. 
It should give you confidence. A friend of ours is a bo- you know, born and bred Queenslander. Um, and some years back, she, she moved to Tassie. Tasmania is a beautiful place. Um, it's not Tathra, but you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Um, and it wasn't long before living there, she, she became depressed. Um, she was diagnosed with that darkness depression. Uh, and she moved back to sunny Queensland. She was better. Uh, there's something about light, isn't there? It's just good. We all know that difficulty of sort of stumbling around uh, in the dark. Some of our kids are afraid of the dark. But light can reassure us. It can lift, lift our spirits. You know, notice, having told us that the Son of God really did appear in history, from verse 5, John tells us something of the message that they, the eyewitnesses, were given. Just look at that verse 5. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's a really big thing to say. But what does it mean? Well, at least two things. First, light in the Bible, it symbolises God's presence with his people. In the Exodus, God made himself known to Moses in that, that burning bush. The Lord led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt by fire uh, at night, that pillar of fire. When Jesus turns up in, in history, he says, I am the light of the world. God being light, it's a comment on God's guidance the presence of God to lead his people out of darkness. But it's also a comment on the goodness of God, who he is, what he's like. God is completely unlike us, isn't he? I don't know if any of you would be happy to have your thoughts and feelings displayed on the projector in front of us all this afternoon. But if, if it was possible to do that with God there would be nothing dodgy, nothing dark, nothing to be hidden but his, his goodness, his perfection, his moral purity. God is light, his goodness and his guidance. But you see what John says next in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. John is saying to profess faith in Jesus, yes, I'm a Christian, is to live a life that matches up. To have fellowship with God is to pursue godliness. Uh, Don Carson, who's like an old Bible commentator, he tells the story of visiting his niece in Vancouver he, he describes her as a, a young and, and attractive, enthusiastic person who was brought up in a Christian home, his sister's home. He said, though, she lives a, a crooked and deceitful life, yet she's, she's quite open about it. Uh, and he, he took her out for a meal when he visited. He said, you used to tell me that I'm your favourite uncle. I have something to say to my favourite niece. And he says, so, so I started asking her, do, do you still believe 
the things your mum and dad told you? Yes, I believe. Uh, Do you still believe that God judges human beings and and holds us accountable? Yes, I, I believe that, she said. Do you still believe that Jesus came and and died for sinners so that we might be forgiven? Yes, I I believe that uh, came the answer. Well, what bearing does it have on how you live, he asked? On the fellow you shacked up with? On the values that that you put on life? On whether you ever meet with God's people or whether you ever read the Bible? How do you put these things together? She said, I believe all those things. And Don said, but isn't there some sort of, you know, entailment for for how you live? Not really. God will forgive me, she said. But John the Apostle says here, to profess faith in Jesus and not live a life that matches up, It's to be a liar. It's to lie. It's possible that John has those people who were withdrawing from the church on view. We're the ones who have fellowship with God, perhaps they were saying, to to which John says your lives say absolutely nothing of the sort. You notice everything is really comparative uh, for us. Um, I had a, a mate at school who, he was homeschooled and he turned up uh, thinking he was a very good cricketer. Uh, he joined our school and he was the best cricketer in his family. He was also the oldest. Uh, so he thought he, he, was, he was pretty wonderful. Uh, he wasn't a very good cricketer at all. Everything is comparative. Our perception of ourselves, it's determined by who or what we compare ourselves to. How dark something else appears depends on how light we may view ourselves. You compare yourself with a mass murderer and you may think, well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty light. I'm, I'm, I'm morally impressive. But when compared with God, who is light, we cannot but be confronted with our sin. You see this in verse 8. If if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I don't know if you've noticed this temptation of uh, making light of our sin. Uh, You know, one way is you compare yourself to someone who looks more sinful than you and you think, oh, I'm pretty good. But you compare yourself to God. And you cannot but be confronted with your sin, can you? And sometimes just to lighten our sin, we rename it, uh, calling adultery an affair calling selfishness self-care, calling laziness me-time, gossip sharing, greed being financially responsible. But under the light of God, all those things and all the rest are seen for what they are. And God calls these things sin. Sin. 
And he's saying, unless you agree, you're not just lying yourself, you're calling God a liar. But look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And look at verse 9 too. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see that to have fellowship with God, it's to to walk in the light. And that is not to be perfect. None of us are. But it's to acknowledge our sin and confess our sin to God and be forgiven, be purified, be cleaned. And knowing that we have eternal life. You see, John's writing that we might have confidence in our relationship with God. But if we claim we don't sin, or we just won't admit our sin before God, we have no grounds for assurance. None. But can I say to you this afternoon, if you're feeling convicted of your sin, well, you have a wonderful opportunity, don't you? Bring it into the light. Stop hiding it. Bring it into the light. Acknowledge your sin before God. Recognize Jesus as the eternal son, the king, and cry out to him for rescue. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and it's opportunity to do just that. But just to finish, look at those first two verses in chapter 2. Oh, I love the way old, old, this old, he's an old man. He says, my dear children. There's some affection there. He's, he's got runs on the board. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, the the God-man who entered history, the eternal Son of God, Jesus, the light of the world, he went to the cross that God's judgment for our sin would be put on him, that we might be forgiven, purified, cleaned. Can you have confidence in your relationship with God, assurance of salvation? Well, do you believe in the eyewitness testimony? Are you real about your sin, confessing it to God and having a crack to to live for him? Well, then, yes. And, of course, John will have some more things to say in the coming weeks. But why don't we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we um, we, want to thank you for your word, Uh, your word, the Lord Jesus, who became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. The Lord Jesus, the eternal son, your word, by whom and for whom everything was made. The word who you spoke creation into being through. Lord, please help us see more and more of how 
big you are and help us marvel. Lord, give us confidence in our Jesus. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us walk in the light as he is in the light. Lord, we just want to pause now and confess that we are sinners, uh, that we fall short of your standard. And for this, we are sorry. Lord, we bring our darkness to you into the light and we, we say, please wash us clean through the blood of Christ. And we praise you for his sufficient sacrifice. We pray, Lord, that as we reflect on the broken body of the eternal Son of God, that your wrath uh, poured out on him in our place, that you would help us rejoice in all that we have in him. Amen.